Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 3 of 7 podcast and the first episode of the Origin Series. These are my stories along with Brooke and her perspective and her stories like they've never been told before. This is awesome. It's an awesome project. I am absolutely loving it, and I hope you guys enjoy these conversations and these things that we talk about in the way that we are going to share them throughout this origin series, I think will give you a whole new perspective on who I actually am. So, I'll sprinkle these in every so often throughout uh, the, the podcast. Yeah, that's my plan. I don't know how many episodes there will be. I don't know how many episodes it will take to get us from the start of our journey, Brooke and I, to the point that we are now. But that's what it is. You guys let me know what you think about them. Quick housekeeping. I think there are maybe four spots left at the Proving Grounds on April the 16th through the 18th, 2021, here in North Georgia. If you want an awesome training experience, if you're seeking something outside of the box, if you want to push yourself and grow in some new ways, Come join me and my team at the Proving Grounds on April 16th through the 18th. I promise you, I will not fail you. I will not fail to train you. So I hope to see you there. If you're interested, go to 3of7project.com, click Experiences, click the Proving Grounds, and sign up. All right, guys, that's enough housekeeping. Here is episode one of the Origin series. What's up, Biscuit? Hey. <laughs> Boy, that was a weak hello. Are we starting? Yeah, we're recording. Welcome to our home, everyone. This is a um, first video podcast we've done in the house. I thought I was going to get away with not having to be on camera. I was told I had to wear a bra, and I knew. I knew it was going to be bad. Well, I mean, I think people are enjoying the videos. I mean, I guess. they're doing. I mean, they're doing pretty good to be... We just started it a few days ago. That's they're true. doing pretty good, so... um, I mean, might as well. Yeah. Plus, you wanted people to be able to see your dogs. Yeah, my dogs. I think they can only see Leonard right now. Mm-hmm. Pookie will be over here bothering me halfway through. Yeah, every time we've tried to record a podcast here, they get antsy. and uh, They'll get antsy. They'll yeah. see. You don't even have to describe they it. Run it. They want to come over here and bother us. Um, Well, like I said, welcome, guys. Whether you're just listening or watching on YouTube, this is a 
interesting idea Brooke and I have, well, really Brooke uh, has had for quite a while, and we just haven't taken the time to sit down and do it. And I call it the origins, the origins episode. Um, And it's really just a chance for us to sit down and talk about our story, where we came from, how we ended up here. Because it's really interesting. I know a lot of you guys that watch the podcast and follow us on social media and stuff. You know, you guys see us for who we are now, but there's no way that you can see all the stuff that we went through and just like just like you guys all you guys have a story we're not the only ones with a story Mm -hmm. right we all had to come up through a bunch of craziness for the most part can you turn my ear down just a little bit yeah you're about to bust my ears out sorry y'all that's good thank you yeah we all have to come through some stuff in order to get to where we are today we were talking about that today on the trail yeah, taking risks and is that what you're referring to? Yeah, basically we were talking about how um as far as a business perspective, you said, well, you know, it's a it's a lot harder for people that might be in their 30s and 40s that listen to the podcast to get started, you know, with business and start building a platform and it's harder than it is for you as a former US Navy SEAL. Yeah. Getting out of the Navy in your early 30s, you have mm-hmm. you have an awesome foundation and you're still young. And that's what that's the conversation we were talking about. It's like, and that's what we want this to be. It's like the backstory because essentially, yeah. that I've I've been I've spent my entire adult life, um, doing things leading me up to the point that I am now. So although we've only been in in business or we founded 307 project about a year and a half ago it's been it's been a 14 year journey mm-hmm. you know what i mean and yeah 14 years of or, or 12 years on the front end um of no it was there wasn't no business i mean it was putting in the work to get us to the point we are now so yeah. you know so yeah, this is our. Does that describe it well? You think? No, but that's okay. I mean, well, how would you describe it? It's just our story. We're just gonna tell people. I mean, I want to start like the first moment I laid eyes on you, and I want to end with us sitting on this couch. Oh and Lord! I just want to touch on. I mean, obviously, we're not gonna go account every freaking detail of our lives, but I want to go through the major milestones and the moves and the places we've been and um, just kind of, you know, we can flow with each other and things that pop out. And I want to be completely transparent. Like I don't want to hold anything back. I don't want to, uh, you know, not share the embarrassing or shameful detail or, you know, I want it to just be true. And that's me warning you that I'm going to say whatever I want. <laughs> that's what I'm Well, I'm in control. <laughs> I don't have to release this. Uh, and I'm good anyways because I've never done anything embarrassing or shameful anyways. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> anyways. Um, Let's get started. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, it sounds like you have a clear vision in your head, so. You may start? Yeah, go ahead, boo-boo. Okay, so I'll start with. Welcome. To the origins. 
Go ahead, Booga. <laughs> I'll start with um, the first time I saw you. And it's actually irrelevant to any details about us as people. It's just freaking funny. So I'm hanging out with my friends. This was like, I think I was, I was 15 because I wasn't driving yet. And we all met at either Waffle House or Texas Roadhouse in all of our jacked up trucks to hang out. And um, I was sitting in the Texas Roadhouse parking lot right beside the door. Y'all know what Texas Roadhouse door, like the big wooden door. Um, and we were standing there and like, it was like a saloon. The doors flung open and Chad walks out and I don't know him. Um, he walks out and he's got one sh- little t- short girl on his shoulder and he's got his arm over her like this. And then he's holding the other one back with his arm and preventing her from them fighting. And they're both screaming and he's like, whoa, 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 ladies, you know, that kind of attitude. And I'm just like, I remember looking at my friend Dakota and being like, what a loser. You know, like I just didn't think anything of you. And um, that led to me dating someone in your friend circle and it didn't work out. And then you got my number, and this was probably a couple months later. You got my number, and you called me, and you said, uh, will you go ride four-wheelers with me? And do you remember what made you call me? No, man. Uh, well, I mean. No, man. Going back, I, I don't I don't even remember what them girls was fussing at, fussing I, about at I the remember. Texas Roadhouse. I remember. One of them, you said one of them just walked up and kissed you. And you were with another, the other girl. And the random girl just, that was your story, at least. No, that is is what happened. And I forgot even which girls that was. I can't even remember any of that, really. But you brought that up, and that's why they was fussing about that. Well, and you were, I mean, you were probably, what do you think? Two, 230 pounds, freaking lifting weights just beefy mohawk bandana overalls just like yeah i always had me a i always had a pretty nice truck i always had a pretty nice old truck that was you know usually jacked up it was lifted it had some Flowmaster exhaust on it um that's what drew in all the ladies was that Flowmaster. well it must have been because uh (laughs) and then i had a um I, I did. I lifted a lot of weights back then. I was just, you know, you. I, I don't know. I I don't even know what to say about myself back then. You don't have to say anything. Um, but no. Why did I? What What made me call you? Um, if you, I don't, I don't really know. To be honest with you, you probably don't remember. I I mean, I probably just wanted somebody to go ride fours with me. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. So jump to. Me saying yes, and I'm going to give you another, I'm going to try to paint another picture for you guys. So I'm in the back of my mom's car. I can't drive yet. So we're meeting Chad at Tractor Supply. I'm in the back seat. My mom's in the front seat. My sister's in the front seat. And we're in the parking spot. And here comes Chad, and he pulls in in front of us and then pulls in beside us. And as he pulls in front of us, he's in a lifted, old blue was 150? Irrelevant. No, it was an F two fifty. F two fifty. Nineteen ninety. Okay, jacked up, and as he, it's massive. And as he passes in front of us, there's a set of balls 
massive set of balls hanging from the hitch swinging right in front of my mom's face. And uh, that was the <laughs> that was the first thing. And then he parks and gets out and he's wearing Liberty overalls, no shirt. He already had a lot of tattoos back then. Um, you were already covered. Your Hank Williams, your Copenhagen lid, your tire tracks. You got those. No, ones. I didn't get that. I didn't get that Copenhagen can tattoo until I was out. I was in SQT. Dang. And me and Scotty Johnson rode to uh, Julian. Some, oh, yeah. Some town in, in the mountains out there. And there was some little tattoo shop there. And we used to go up there and get tattooed, just stupid tattoos. Most of my tattoos are absolutely retarded. I but, you know, that. you know. But, so, minus the Copenhagen lead tattoo, big mohawk. I'm talking, like, probably, I mean, big mohawk. You had earrings. I had decent hair back then. My, it's all falling out now. Oh, my gosh. And uh, he had his... Liberty overalls tucked in his boots. They were probably key overalls, too. Oh, oh yeah, you're right. With the green? Yeah, yeah I don't right. like Liberty overalls. I had that pair of key overalls, man. I wore them for the longest time until I wrecked a, I wrecked a crotch rocket motorcycle the second day I had it on Halsey Town Road. And um, I ruined those overalls that ripped them to shreds. I, f I feel like the listeners don't care that you ripped your overalls. But maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean... Maybe there's someone out here really excited right now to get to hear about your Liberty overalls getting ripped. It's a big deal in a man's life when he ruins his favorite pair of overalls. Oh, my gosh. Because it takes about a year to break a pair of overalls in. And then when you wreck a crop, I'll tell you the story about that motorcycle wreck later. Oh, thank gosh. He's sparing you guys. Anyways, I wouldn't, so, have let, I wouldn't let nobody go nowhere with me. Well, I don't know no. what you... What, you were wild, though, man. I was You wild. were a wild woman. I remember my mom making eye contact with me, and I remember thinking, I better hurry up and get in that truck or she's going to stop me. And I did. She let me go. And, uh, I mean, of course, my parents were strict, so I had a curfew. But um, I think we left there and went to an undisclosed gas station off of 278 that would sell you beer. Got a, got a six-pack of beer, went back to your house, rode the power line. Yeah, we rode all over that power line. That was a, Those were good times, man. That was a good spot to go ride. It was. And the rest was, that, the rest was history. That was our first date. I think I tried to get with you that night, and you, you bucked me. Well, Do you remember that? I never have been much of a womanizer. Do you remember that, though? Oh yeah, yeah. I remember that. I remember our date um, very, very well. You know, and and I never was one to date. I I would date a bunch of women, but I never was one to to go and sleep around with a bunch of women, really, because for some reason, even back then, you know that that in, the intimacy part was a little. It's always been something that's more special to me you know what i mean so i i never was one to do that i wanted to i loved going on dates with women and taking taking you out and all that having fun but you know i, I always wanted a a relationship or a companionship with a person yeah you know what i mean that's just the way i've always i've always ticked that way even with my friends 
you know, I don't have a lot of friends even now. And it's because I'm a, I'm just a, a more re- deep relationship type of person. Yeah. Yeah. If that makes any sense. No, it does. I mean, it makes sense to me, but I know you very well. But yeah, I tried to get with Chad that night. I was, I, like you said, I was wild and he, he bucked me. I think you made me work for two months, at least two months. I don't remember. I just remember thinking, good gosh, this man. Yeah, I mean. Making me work for it. Well, we better, we got to be careful as kids listen to this. Oh, yeah. Well, they don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'll move on. Um, And then I guess we were dating for a little while, and then you, I don't remember where we were or what specifically you said, but I remember not knowing what Navy SEALs was. Like, not really knowing. Like, you know, I didn't know either. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you said I'm gonna go be a Navy SEAL, and I'm like, okay, sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, h- h- tell that. How did you get there? I mean, you just sitting on Google back the, before we had the iPhones. Be- the best I can remember, and yeah, we didn't have iPhones back then. Well, I think we had those Nextels back then. You, yeah, it your had whole to, family had that. Yeah, it had the walkie-talkie. I mean, you couldn't text message or nothing, but. Man, that walkie-talkie, that was like the text message. Next day. What it, it made a noise yeah, when oh y'all yeah. did it. I had a G-Shock back then. You had a G-Shock all the way up to about 10 years ago, I think. <laughs> I remember when you ordered about 15 of them in the mail, refurbished ones. Because I didn't want to get a smartphone. Yeah, and oh. let none of them work. Um, no, you know, that's that's the crazy thing, too. I didn't know what a Navy SEAL was either. And y'all got to understand where where we grew up. It was it was pretty country. I mean, down here in Georgia, I had never seen a service member in uniform. Like I didn't know anything about the military, nothing. And I remember going into, I remember joking, like somebody would say mention something about joining the military, and I would laugh about it because I just. I never even viewed it as an option. Nobody ever brought it up. Yeah. The best I can remember, I was working at that B&B concrete place, you know, mm-hmm. which, by the way, I heard that place went out of business, and now it's like a, um, it's like just a, everything's still there, but it's all run down and empty. It'd be cool to go back there one day and just do a little, do a little filming thing. That would be cool. And talk talk through this scenario with the camera and show people where it was at and kind of I just think it'd be cool um before they tear it all down. So we might do that one day. Yeah. But yeah, I remember I, I had this job. I had I had been working for a guy on a farm for a long time and then I got this job at this concrete place mixing concrete because they they offered me more money. Buy more money back then. I think it was like twelve dollars an hour or something. That was big money to us, man. It was. You know, and plus you could get some overtime and stuff back then. If you made five hundred dollars a week, son, you were living high on the hog, boy. Yep. Um. But yeah, I remember sitting down there. This job was so freaking boring. <laughs> The cool part about working on the farm, which is what I did all through kind of high school, and then when I right right after I graduated, maybe for a few months, 
the cool part about it was is I like working with my hands. I like being outside. So yeah, that was all that. But, but they didn't pay us much, like eight bucks an hour or something. So this concrete place offered me more money. I went over there, and they had me this little box office. Maybe I'll get to see it on a film one day. And I'd sit in this little office, and it was in, in this big high bay where they mixed concrete. I would mix it on a computer in this office. And there was a glass thing there, and I could look out into the big high bay. <laughs> you know what I mean? And watch the um, the Mexican guys would take the concrete and make forms and stuff with it. But I remember, man, I'd be sitting down there, and I'd fall asleep. And uh, you'd have to, when that concrete was done mixing, you'd have to hit a button at just the right time to uh, control the flow from the mixer out into the forms. And I would fall asleep, and I wouldn't hit that button, and I'd have a batch of concrete mixing, and it would dump thousands <laughs> of pounds of concrete out into the floor of that <laughs> freaking you, high bay. You only did that one time, right? Oh, no. No, I did this multiple times. Oh, my gosh. And then Mexicans would get so mad at me. Well, yeah. Because then they had to shovel it all up, shovel it into buckets, and oh. pour it into form. But, man, you want to talk about a dang miserable job. I was slap freaking miserable. My boss's name was Ted. Old Ted. Ted, if you're listening to this, I hope I see you again one day, brother. But old Ted, man, he was... Uh, is this... Hold on. Is this going to circle back around to why you joined the Navy SEALs? Yeah. Or are you just off on like the longest rabbit trail of your life? No. It's a circle back around. Okay. Old Ted, you know, man, he was he was a pretty dweeb. I mean, he was a great guy. He was a great guy. He just, he just was, he, he walked pigeon toed and he oh, was, he's deformed. So he's a dweeb. <laughs> no. What a dick. I mean, I'm sorry. What a jerk. I'm going to have to mark this podcast as explicit here. Um, but he was a great guy anyways. He was, and then my bigger boss, my other bosses, you know, they were three or 400 pounds overweight and you know, it's like, this is the kind of people I was surrounded Fat with. Fat dweebs. Fat uh, Fat, fat, handicapped they, dweebs. No, they were great guys. They just didn't want anything else out of life. Okay. They just didn't. They didn't want to be healthy. They didn't want anything else out of life. And um, the the guys that I respected most there were the Mexican guys that worked their freaking tails like, off. They were rough, son. Yeah. Like they came from, they came from areas in Mexico. I forget what the place was, but it was a rough, rough area, you know. And they're basically fleeing. From the the all the violence and the cartels and stuff to come up here and try to make a living and them jokers will work and most of them were were really hard dudes and most of them were were intelligent dudes. Heck, heck really, yeah. man. I mean, they they were they were their, sharp. Their culture is awesome. Mm-hmm. Their their culture is so so great. Their their country just sucks. Yeah, you know. Yep. But uh, anyways, uh, you know, I respected those guys and. There's a whole nother story about that, but if anyway. we continue at this rate, as much as you're talking about your B and B job, we're never going to get through this. Uh, well, it doesn't have to be one episode. It's going to be like thirteen. If if what's the origin series? All right. So this this was my life. This was my life. Oh, and I didn't even mention Carl that ran the skid steer. We'll Nobody talk, cares about. We'll Carl. talk about him later. Carl was pigeon toed. He was freaking <laughs> loser. So, anyways, I remember just being so freaking demotivated by my by my lot in life, 
And um, I didn't. I tried college when I got out of high school. Well, and everyone needs to know that you barely made it out of high school. Oh, yeah. I had to go around and beg my teachers on the last day of my senior year. No kidding. The bell had rang <laughs> on the last day. And kids are leaving. And I'm having to go around to these classrooms and beg my teachers to go in and change my grades so I can pass. And somebody did. And they did it. The The teachers did it because I think they just wanted me out of there. Yeah. I think they knew that I didn't belong there. Yep. You know, somehow they changed my freaking grades. I didn't go to graduate. I didn't do nothing. They sent me my mess- my certificate in the mail, and I didn't even care if it came or not. Mom probably has it somewhere. I don't know. That's yeah. what I did, too. And, um, well, daggone it. I got sidetracked. So you were talking about. Yeah. So I, 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 I tried to go to college right after that, and that was a freaking joke. I think I went to like one or two classes. Mom was over it. She, she wasn't going to punish me. You know what I mean? And, um, so I'm just freaking miserable, man. And, and then I start thinking, I got to freaking do something, you know? And back then they were recruiting heavily for SEALs. And it was just a pop-up banner thing. And it looked really cool on my little computer I had down there in the concrete shack that I wasn't even supposed to be on looking at stuff like that. But it popped up. And uh, for some reason that just clicked with me. I have, and I think what it was is because it, it was one of those, the hardest military training in the world. You know what I mean? It looked really cool. And I thought, man, I got to look into this right here. And then I went, I actually went, once the military became a thing for me, like uh, something I, I would actually consider, I went and talked to the Marine Corps recruiter first. And I remember going to meet with this dude. And I get in the car with him, and he's telling me about the Marine Corps. And I'm like, so what do you what do? you do?" And this guy was a logistics guy. And I was like, logistics? What is that? And he was like, oh, I drive a truck. And I'm like, what? There's people that drive trucks in the military? I was that freaking stupid. I but thought all the military it's not stupid is ignorant. Well, I thought all the military was was people that carried guns and went to war. Yeah. And I thought, well, I don't want to be a part of this guy's organization. He's a truck <laughs> driver. No offense to you Marines, man. That was just my mindset back then. I had no freaking clue. Yeah. And so when I when I figured that out that oh, all of these cuz we used to play army and crap in the woods, man. We used to set up sniper hides. We me and Jake and Blake, and, and all, I was all about it, you know? So when I figured out that not everybody gets to go and shoot guns and do crazy stuff, but these Navy SEAL people, sounds like they get to do do it the most, and it's super hard. That's the reason I chose to do that. So you saw the banner at work at B&B, and you went to the Marines, decided that wasn't the good thing. Then you went to the Navy recruiter and walked in and said, I want to be a Navy SEAL. Yeah, yeah. Then I went to the Navy and told them that. And back then, all you had to do was pass a PST, physical standards test. It was a, a swim, 500-meter swim, 
max push up, max pull up, max sit up, mile and a half run. So, so I remember, I don't remember when you went to the recruiter, but I do remember you coming to me and saying, I gotta, you gotta teach me how to swim. Cause I used to swim on the swim team and I so vividly remember going to Don's and that little big arched bridge he had in the corner of that lake and I remember jumping in there and us doing teaching you freestyle and uh, but, breast no, breaststroke. Oh, breaststroke! Yeah, I couldn't swim a lick. Yeah, I, I could keep my head above the water. You could doggy paddle. Yeah, you just yeah, you could just tread water. You couldn't move forward or backward. No. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't swim a lick. And when Brooke taught me, y'all y'all have heard this before. I've had people tell me I'm a liar. No, I'm not lying. No. I, I could not free. When She's she, not lying. When she finally taught me this stroke that was supposedly the breaststroke, there's no telling what it looked like when I was trying to do it. <laughs> I, when she taught me that, I couldn't swim from here to the other end of that couch he without really, being out of breath. Well, and, and like I said, you just couldn't move forward or backward very easily. Like, you stayed head out of the water and just, I mean, you were just doggy paddle. That's all you could do. Yeah, that's yeah. it. All right, hold on. Let me hit the head real quick. Okay. Hey, guys, have I told you about my bushcraft necklace from Wazoo Survival Gear? Well, you need to get you one because it's a really sharp piece of gear that you can wear around your neck every day. That's what I do. And it gives you the capabilities to start a fire in any weather condition, in any temperature in any scenario and fire is very important to your survival as a human being if you find yourself in a uh, in a tight spot right we can cook over it we can get warm from it we can purify water over it there's a lot of things that we can do with fire and wazoo survival gear makes products that allow us to have that capability anytime any place anywhere guys tools Tools increase your capability. More capability gives you more options. More options gives you the freedom to choose where you go, where you explore, the things you do. That's where Wazoo Survival Gear comes in. It's the perfect melding of form and function that allows you to build a wide variety of tools into your everyday wear. This stuff is awesome, guys. I've been using Wazoo Survival Gear products for well over a year now. Every time we go out on the basic course, um, every time I'm stepping off on a mission, and a lot of their products are just with me day in and day out, like my bushcraft necklace, like my cash cap, uh, just going through regular everyday life. They're an awesome company, 100% made in America, awesome dudes, Dustin and Nick. You've probably heard them. They've done an episode on the 307 podcast. Go, go give them some support, man, at wazoosurvivalgear.com. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. As a matter of fact, I've attached a, a link to their website in the show notes of this episode, a special link for you guys. When you go and place your order with Wazoo, they've given us a pro code that's going to give you 20% off your order. The pro code is the number three of the number seven, all caps. That's the best deal you're going to find on Wazoo Survival Gear products anywhere. They asked me, 
how I wanted to split this up. I could get 10% back on the purchases that you guys made using this pro code and y'all could get 10% off. I said, no, give the customer 20% off. Give the podcast listener 20% off because you guys have rewarded me by showing up and listening to this show. So I want you to have the full discount. This company doesn't put their stuff on sale because this stuff is all handmade. And yeah, it's not stuff that goes on sale or or expires. So it's a great deal. Go check them out, wazoosurvivalgear.com. Follow them on Instagram at wazoosurvivalgear. Thanks a lot, guys. Enough said. All right, we're back. You going to clap? No, I I left it running. We're oh. good. Um, this man pees more than. Well, I drink a lot of water. My so do I. Anyways, you finally taught me how to swim. We ended up going to the you you even aquatic went center. to the aquatic center with me. Yep, we went to the aquatic center and learned how to swim. And you didn't know how to do the breath the side stroke. Nope. which was the stroke we were supposed to use for that PST. Um. So the first few PSTs I went to do, uh, I tried to do it with the breaststroke, and I failed miserably. And Frank Cutler taught me on, from the pool deck some semblance of a side stroke. And so then I switched to that, and I got to where I could finally pass the swim. But I couldn't run. You were heavy. I mean... You were heavy, heavy, heavy. So I'm going to do this. <clears throat> Brooke goes with me a lot of weeks. Mm-hmm. We're going, we're t- driving in that big old F-250 truck, freaking an hour to town. The Marietta Square. Yeah, the Marietta Square to do this physical standards test. That sound that now is ri- ridiculous thinking that I couldn't pass that. But yeah, like she said, I was really, I remember going and doing these things and dude failing it for i failed that thing every week for like i don't know how long Mm -hmm. two or three months and i remember being so exhausted after that that like i just wanted to lay down and go to sleep i eat a pizza and lay down and go to sleep (laughs) and i I also remember while the whole time i'm trying to pass this thing just to get a seal contract um, I'm still working at B and B, yeah, the concrete place, and um, the whole time. I, and I remember my legs. I had the worst shin splints. No, I'm talking about the worst shin splints. I remember getting up, trying to get up out of my bed some 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 days after I would do that mile and a half run, and. I would literally touch my foot to the ground, <laughs> not I like lightly because I knew it was going to hurt. I don't know if my shins were actually broken or not, but just I would touch my foot ever so lightly to the ground and then try to put weight on it, and I would just fall onto the ground out of my bed. It hurt that bad. And I remember hobbling around, hobbling down to my little office there at B&B. I could barely freaking walk. My legs hurt so bad. From a mile and a half. From a mile and a half. Well, you had never run in your dang life. I mean, when running after a dog, that's the only time you would probably ever run, period. So yeah. you're starting out. You you don't know how to swim other than just tread water. 
you've never run for anything. I mean, well, people and people, y'all think y'all think this sounds crazy, and people say, "Well, why? What in the world, Chad? Why didn't you just freaking give well, up?" People too need to understand that you were not like an athletic kid. Like you liked to coon hunt, ride four wheelers. I think you played baseball, but like you weren't doing cross country and oh, JROTC no. and <coughs> running the mile. You, I never even played a sport. I played baseball when I was in middle school. Yeah. Other, I was the catcher. Yeah. You so I didn't run. That's what I'm saying. People don't realize that you had zero athletic background. I mean, no. if if we were addressing a kid right now, you know, 10th or 11th grade, that was just, Chad wasn't fat. He was just a bigger dude, really muscular, you know, and just heavy. I mean, you. I just can't imagine like a kid just like you standing in front of us, looking us in the eye saying, I want to be a seal. Like, I think to me, I would be like, Pfft. Oh, everybody laughed at me. Yeah. Everybody laughed at me. All my buddies, uh, those guys at that B&B concrete where I was working, mm-hmm. they liked to laugh me out of that place <laughs> when I told them what I wanted to go do. I'm not kidding you, man. Um, look, man, I played the freaking tuba. I was in the band in middle school. When all y'all cats was out playing football and out doing all this sports and stuff, I played the dang tuba, son. That's I was right. I was right, one son. of the I was one of the best tuba players at my in my band. I think I was the best. You know what they say about tuba players? They make good Navy SEALs. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, man. And, and I'm gonna tell you, man, but Brooke always believed in me she never questioned me she never laughed at me she never questioned me because i didn't know what you were doing well I, yeah maybe if you knew the seriousness of it maybe you would have i don't know look i remember I, I was in high school and it was shortly before you were leaving i did a project on the navy seals because you were going in and I told everybody my boyfriend was going to be a Navy SEAL. And I remember when I was doing that project and putting together my PowerPoint, that's when I kind of realized what was going to happen. And I do remember a few times, like I supported you, but I do remember a few times just being a selfish kid and telling you, I don't want you to leave. You know what I mean? Like, I think I pressured you sometimes to, no, don't don't do that. Stay around here. You can work here. You can work here. You know, we can be together. You don't have to leave me. But I But mean, you never once for a minute, you never once thought that I couldn't do what I said I was gonna go do. No. Which didn't make any sense to me now looking back. And my mom was the same way. My mom never doubted me. And you know who else you know who else believed in me? Frank Cutler. Frank, yeah. Which is crazy because like you said, you failed so many of those PSTs and you would think he would have been like but Frank well Frank doesn't believe in anybody either I mean Frank is this guy Frank Cutler retired SEAL senior chief he was a dive motivator that ran ran me through my PSTs this dude was hard as freaking woodpecker lips son (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking about this joker right here was in his late 60s. Looks like he's chiseled out of stone. He was chiseled out and, of stone. And I'm talking about just hard, just a hard dude. I mean, you, you ain't going to hurt him. And so he, all the little guys minus me, me and uh, and 
little Chris. Yeah. We were the only two that Frank believed in, and he saw something in me that um that I don't that that I I guess other people didn't see, and so that helped tremendously that I had people oh. like that that believed I could do it. Well, and Frank played a crucial crucial role in your waiver and that whole situation that we'll get to eventually with you trying to get back in with your I mean I don't think you would have become a seal if Frank wasn't in the picture yeah yeah he, like, he had my back for sure and your mom we can I remember calling Frank when that happened but we'll get to that okay yeah and your mom I mean some background on Chad's mom real quick just to give you some perspective she did she had Chad at 22, I think, 21, pretty young. Um, they were married, and then she had his brother three, four years later. Yeah. So she was probably 26, and a few months, um, I think it was a few months, not long after she had Blake, your brother, she started training. She decided she wanted to do triathlons and marathons, and she was running 16 miles, you know, multiple times a week. I mean, that was the only time I had ever ran in my life was with her because I wanted a backpack. backpack. <laughs> I wanted a backpack in middle school. And she told me that if I came out and did this, I think it was like an eight mile, six or eight mile run with her on the trail. That that was, and I, and I ran the whole time. Now I was young. This you were a, pudgy too. And this is early middle school. And, uh, she told me if I did that, she'd buy me that backpack. And that was the only time I could remember running. For fitness it wasn't even for fitness it was to get a backpack <laughs> but i mean that's a perfect story to kind of paint the picture of your mom like she's a very very driven motivated focused individual and you you are her in the male version yeah i mean that's why you've been so successful your dad plays a lot of roles and everything too and blake is dad yes for <laughs> Sorry, Blake. For sure. No. I mean, you. yeah, you are your mom. He's not even here to defend himself. We didn't invite him. <laughs> but well, let, let's let's continue. So so you talked about Frank. Um, you're working on your PST. We moved from B&B. You wanted to be a SEAL. So let's move to when you started passing in there until going in. I mean... Yeah, and, and, you know, I don't remember a whole lot about our relationship during that period. I don't either. And and I think it's because we were, we were such kids. I mean, we were literally kids. Yeah. And it was, I mean, we, I don't even know if you can, you can, I guess you can call it a relationship because we were boyfriend and girlfriend, but... You know, we didn't know what the crap we were doing. No. You didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, we just, we spent time together when we could. I think my main focus was training to get, to go to, to, into the Navy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we just hung out when, when we could and you supported me. I do remember that. I never remember you not supporting me, but. Yeah, when I, I finally got to where I could start passing this thing, and I got this SEAL contract, and that I, I, it was it, once I got that contract, it wasn't like a, a month or two before I left to go to Navy boot camp. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. I remember um, me, you, your mom and dad dropping you off at Arbor Place Mall. Mm-hmm. I remember like I can see us pulling away from the mall and just we were all silent. You know, I remember that very vividly. But yeah, that you know, that's one of the hardest that was that was one of the hardest things and I think that's the reason why there's not a lot of country boys or southern boys that go into the to the SEAL teams or maybe the military in general. You know, in the teams we we had a lot of guys from the Midwest, West Coast, um New England states. Didn't have didn't have a lot of guys from Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, Carolina. Mm-hmm. And you know, we we have so much culture down here. Our family unit is usually so tight. Even if we don't like each other, it's still <laughs> tight. Yeah. And it man, that was freaking hard to to leave that. And, and not to mention I had never been anywhere. You'd never been on a plane. No, I had never been on a plane. Yeah. I think the furthest I had been from my home was six hours to Panama City Beach. Yep. Really? Yeah, maybe Kentucky, but that's that's six hours too. Yeah, I yeah. Don't, and I don't even remember that. I was too little to even freaking remember that trip. Yeah, they tell me I've been to Kentucky, um, but yeah, that was that was hard. Not just to leave Brooke, but just to leave everybody in the family unit and the culture and all that. But you know that that this is this is part of the reason why we are where we are today it mm-hmm. was that choice to do that right Did, mm-hmm. didn't nobody else in my hometown didn't nobody else in my graduating class didn't none of them leave home but you don't know that well i mean the ones that i the ones that i've seen yeah you know since na- now you know and and who knows you know i don't i don't know i don't keep track of all of them you're right but i don't know of a single one that chose to to go through that pain emotional pain that emotional discomfort and to take that step to leave because it's it was a hard step to take and you know but i i did it and you can give yourself credit for that step without putting down all your classmates well i'm just saying this this is this i'm trying to portray the fact that it's not common in your culture that it's uncommon in my culture and that it is if if you if you want to achieve something different mm-hmm. you got to take that step you're going to do something different yeah yeah if you want to do something different because you're not happy with your current situation yeah you got to take that step well and and going back to your PST and just multiple failures and you not knowing how to do anything that you're required to excel at to do your job is just a great example of just that. Like, you know, you mm-hmm. had no qualifications. You didn't bring anything to the table that helped you with this career choice. And look at you. Mm-hmm. I mean. Well, I got on that dang plane. I went up, went up there to Great Lakes, Illinois. What a freaking Baby, hole that place be is. Be nice because I, I we're look, we've only seen that area. Oh, I'm, I'm not, sure. Yeah, Illinois has some of the best deer hunting in the country. No, but it's it could be a, a great city and a great state. You just might have not seen it. My experience at at 
Recruit Training Command, Great Lakes, Illinois, was I can't even put into words. I, I I said when I when I graduated Buds, I think I would have rather went through Buds twice than to go back through that boot camp in Great Lakes, Illinois. Um, we you know what we need to do on episode two, the origins. We need to get some of those letters that I wrote you. Oh yeah, from boot camp. No, I have them. I know. That's yeah. what I'm saying. We need to get oh, we need to genius. get a few of them out and read them. So the whole yeah. time I'm I'm out here in this boot camp, um, you know, me and Brooke are still technically together. Of course, I'm gone <laughs> and we're kids, but I write her letters pretty religiously we can't talk on the phone you weren't yeah. allowed to talk oh, yeah. on the phone no yeah you yeah. you didn't get not not a single phone call Mm-mm. and um so she kept those things and they are some of the funniest dang letters you've ever i well maybe not to you guys but to us when we I know exactly where they are and i want to go get one right now when we no we'll, we'll do it on episode two okay yeah we'll we'll read you guys some of those in uh in episode two and um so i I end up getting through that dang boot camp and you you, if you got anything what 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 was it like for you while i was going doing that i'm trying to think of what i was doing i think i was going to i think i was going to chattahoochee tech i had just graduated and um I think I was starting to get heavily into drugs at that point. Like, I think that was a tipping point. I'm trying to line it up right. Um, but I'm pretty sure that was a tipping point for me. Um, you leaving for my drug use, you know, because before I was just dabbling and having fun. Well, I can remember one of the one of the first times, I don't know if the first time, but one of the first times I talked to you, after or right there toward the end or right at after graduation of boot camp um i remember i was at this little it's called a nex it's a little store right there on boot camp the 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 boot camp facilities where you can go in and you can't buy nothing but like toothpaste and deodorant it's just there for you as a boot camp guy to get the personal hygiene stuff that you need but they had these little pay phones in there and i think we had just graduated and i remember calling you one time for from one of them pay phones and i remember you you just sounded like you were out of it like i I couldn't i didn't know what was going on you know what i mean you just sounded like i was just thinking dang i hope she's all right because you just didn't sound right you know what i mean you couldn't really tell me where you were and and this and that and you know, I, I don't, it's it's really funny how that really sticks out in my mind. That is funny, because yeah. I've never heard you talk about no, it. No, uh-uh. I mean, a lot of this stuff we've talked about on here, I've never talked about. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so, you get done with boot camp, and this will kind of lead into you finding out about your, your cyst. I can't think of any, <clears throat> I can't think of any rel- relative details outside of, between yeah. the, those two things, can you? Yeah, no, and and I think most of you guys have heard the story about my my heart. 
Yeah, um, when, give, when, give the short version. Yeah, the, they basically, at the end of boot camp, they called me aside and told me I had a seven-centimeter pericardial cyst on my heart, which disqualified me from ever becoming a SEAL. But they told me they could send me to the regular Navy. And um, I didn't want to go to the regular Navy. And so I told them, no, I want to get out. Because it was basically, they had breached my contract. And they stuck me in a holding unit that was literally like a prison. It was it was a prison. And um, I sat in there for, I don't know how long, maybe two months. And finally, my mom, she was hitting everybody up on her end, like congressmen and getting a hold of whoever she could to get me out of there. I, I literally think the Navy is such an inefficient machine. I think I could have, I could probably still be in that holding unit today. <laughs> really? I probably oh could have spent 10 gosh. years in that holding unit as, just forgot about as seaman recruit, right? Mopping floors oh and cleaning gosh. windows. That's no your kidding. mom, though. Your mom is over there writing a letter to the president. Like, and all the Navy people that were there, the, 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 the drill instructors, they were called, uh, I don't know what they were called, but they were the drill instructors. None of them cared. No. They didn't freaking care that, that I was in there. Like, I remember walking in their office and being like, can you help me get out of here? Like, <laughs> they just look at, they don't freak, they did not care at all. It's like, it was, it. looking back on it, it doesn't even seem real. You know, and you were in there. I was in there. I remember there was only one other guy in there that I could get along with, and he had got disqualified from being a SEAL, too. His name was Clint. Um, He was cool, you know, but he ended up getting out before I did. We didn't do anything wrong. We just got freaking disqualified, <laughs> and they stick us in this thing, man. It was it was. One of the most depressing times <laughs> in my entire life. How long were you there? I may, I don't even remember. It sounds like it was about two months. Okay. I didn't have no clothes. I didn't have... I literally had to wear my utilities. Oh. It's this crappy uniform, blue pants, and a light blue shirt with your little name tag on it. Everything you had... I lived in a metal bunk bed. And it, it lifted up on some hydraulic. It lifted up, and there was a little bit of space under there about the size of a coffee table. And everything you owned had to be in there. And they wouldn't let you buy real clothes and stuff. You had to, even when you went, if you went out in town, like you might get a few hours on a Saturday that you could go and get breakfast in town or something. I remember that's what you You had to do. wear your stupid dress blues. Oh. Yeah, it was insane, man. I I've, I can't I, I've never been that depressed and freaking downtrodden my entire life. <laughs> you you just I just had everything taken from me. All my dreams, all that crap, learn all that crap we just talked about, learning how to swim, going through all the struggle and pain, passing this PST, finally getting there, going through this misery of boot camp. All that is taken away from me for no, it, and, and it's worth nothing anymore. It's just it's it's just literally worthless. And then they stick you in a prison. Mm -hmm. It's not a prison. It was like a prison. 
It's not, I wasn't in the brig. It was well, just like a prison. You were there. Oh, I'm sorry. You were there against your will. Mm-hmm. I mean, you didn't want to be there. I'm like, why do you guys just send me, freaking send me home, man? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it ain't that big of a deal. Um, but yeah, that, that was, man, that was rough, son. So we go from there. You eventually get home. And I have a lot to say about that time period. No, that'd be great. And I mm-hmm. think we'll go through that and then call it a call it a night. We'll go through that section right there leading up to when I go in the second time and we'll cut it off right there. Okay. But um, I, I want to say I did finally get home. I had $800 <laughs> in my bank account. I got to pee. Mo- most money I ever had in my life. Go ahead, baby. Exactly. Yeah. What's up, guys? This episode is brought to you by Salty Bridges. I hope you've heard me talking about Salty Bridges. It's the number one anti-chafing cream on the market, period. I use it for all of my ultra marathons, any race, any run that I'm doing over 50 miles. I put a thin layer of Salty Bridges on my feet, pull my sock up over the top, and I'm good to go. One application of Salty Bridges has kept me comfortable, blister-free, chafe-free, for over a hundred miles of continuous running in the Georgia heat. One application, yeah. And I apply this stuff to any hot spot on my body that would normally chafe or blister or whatever it may be. It's a game changer. I got enough, I got my feel of chafing and seal training. Yeah, it sucks. I don't enjoy it, which is why I'm so passionate about salty britches. Also, this stuff is made in America. The owner of Salty Britches, Amy, is an amazing human being that really has poured her heart and soul into making the best product that can possibly be made, and she has achieved that. Look, buy some Salty Britches, throw some in your running box, throw some in your everyday carry bag, throw some in your backpack, and when you need it, you're going to be really glad you have it. Order yours at GetSaltyBritches.com. Use pro code 3 of 7, the number 3, lowercase, O-F, the number 7, for 20% off your purchase from Salty Britches. Follow them on Instagram at GetSaltyBritches. Hey, we love you, Salty Britches. Thanks for being there when we need you. Thanks for sponsoring this episode of the 3 of 7 podcast. All right. Okay. We're back from the break. So, you got home. You had $800 to your name. You know why I remember that? Because that's the most money I'd ever had in my life in one, <laughs> in one, you know, in my bank account. Yeah. Yeah. So you had $800. I remember being thrilled. Mm-hmm. Like I thought I had won the freaking lottery. I thought you were going to be gone for years. And, you know, we had talked about I was going to have to come to wherever you were and whatever else. And I was like, man, he's coming back home. This is perfect. And uh, you were in rough shape. I mean, you were lost. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like you. Yeah. I mean, how? describe that. How did you feel? Like you got home. Oh, man, I was crushed. Like I told you. Everybody's excited to see you. Well, yeah, the family's excited to see me. I mean, there's multiple things going on here. I had all of my all my dreams stripped from me. I got stuck in the in the dang jail cell thing. Finally <laughs> get back home. Um and then dude, what do you think everybody what do you think everybody at home thought 
about me. They they thought the all those people that had been laughing at me. Well, they got their satisfaction, right? Because here's Chad, the guy that said he was going to serve his country and going to do this great thing. He's back at the house now. They don't give two craps to hear about the reason why. Yeah. All they know is I'm right back where I started. Yeah. And it ain't been that long. A couple months. You know, well, maybe four months. And so... You know, I gotta. I still gotta go out. I gotta go out in town. I gotta figure out how I'm gonna make money. I got to figure a bunch of crap out, and I'm still just a very young man. And the whole time, I feel like not only did everything get taken from me, but now what does everybody think of me? You know, and what did they think of me? They thought I was a freaking loser, man. Yeah. You know, and I, I remember. You know, I had I had these. I had these aspirations like back then it was so it was so rewarding to be able to wear that uniform of the United States Navy those dress blues I complained about having to wear them out in town in Great Lakes that's because everybody in the town of Great Lakes everybody that was in town had dress blues on they were in the Navy they were all in the Navy yeah. they were all uh, like fresh graduated recruits yeah I mean, I, I I dreamed of graduating from just boot camp and being able just to wear my little uniform out to eat. Yeah. In my hometown, to be able to say, "Hey, man, look, you know, I, yeah, I'm not a seal yet, but I'm serving my country." You yeah. know. Heck, I couldn't even freaking do that with pride. Yeah. Because here I was. Yeah. And I didn't know. I had no clue if I was going to be able to get back in or not absolutely no clue was that even on your radar at that time or were you just defeated like no i think i think that it was always on my radar that that you were gonna try to get back oh yeah that i was gonna try to figure out a way to to get this freaking heart condition fixed yeah and at least give everything that i could possibly give and explore every avenue i could explore in order to get back in because this another thing that happened when they took all that from me it made me want it so bad like i thought i wanted it before no well and it's it's important for people to know that everyone around you including the navy including the family probably not your mom god what the crap is wrong with leonard do you guys know she does that oh my gosh they told you that it wasn't an option. Like, they didn't say, hey, Chad, we're medically discharging you for your pericardial cyst, and um, if you want to go get it removed, hit us back up. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they were like, no, you you cannot be a Navy SEAL, period. Yeah. Like, that, that's just how it is. So the hope you had and, you know, the, the fire in you was all coming from just you. Oh, yeah. It wasn't because anybody told me I had was going to get a second chance. It, I didn't even... Exactly. I didn't even know what code they... When they discharge you, they have a couple different codes, discharge codes, and some of them don't allow you to ever even apply to come back in. And, lo- and luckily, I found out later, they discharged me with a, a code that did allow me to at least put papers to come back in yeah um 
because I guess I was still qualified to serve in the regular Navy. You know what I mean? So, um, I do remember taking the majority of that $800 that I had and buying that old freaking Jeep. Oh, the one, the CJ, the CJ5? Yeah. Yeah. The one that uh, you bought and you brought it home and you said, hey, let me take you on a ride. And that thing had that big block 350 and that thing was powerful as crap. You were going down Red Mountain Road on the gravel and you put it in first, whomped down on it, threw it in the second, whomped down on it and went right off the road into a tree. Uh, dude, I was just trying to find something something to get my mind off of my current situation. It yeah. was the middle of winter. I took this $800 that I had, went and found, went and looked at this daggone Jeep. This thing didn't even have no doors or nothing in it. It was not even enclosed. It uh -uh. was open in middle of winter, and I bought this thing, drove it home. It literally had no oil pressure. <laughs> It had unless you were like mashing the gas all the way down, it had zero oil pressure. Oh my god! And yeah, we went out riding in that thing, and you wrecked, and it. I freaking wrecked it into a bank. <clears throat> but that that's a good example of kind of how you acted when you came home. You were just grasping for happiness and for things, something that would make you happy. I mean, yeah, it was it was a really difficult time for me, and um, I was reckless too. Yeah, you were. It was it was a very difficult time for me because I was so happy to have you back and thrilled, and you were just sad. Oh man, I couldn't and, imagine. Yeah, I mean, you and I couldn't understand why you couldn't be happy to be back with me. <laughs> you know, Dude. I'm like, I'm like, what the crap? Yeah, but. I was reckless with everything. I wasn't just reckless with material things and with my own life. I was reckless with relationships. I was reckless with people's other people's emotions. I was, I I, I was just yeah. freaking tore out the frame, man. Yeah, you you had some, you were mean to your family a good bit too in that time because you were just, you were just messed up. Yeah, like that was a really. I don't remember many good things about that time i remember that time being a dark time and again i'm in the the background not out of control but using drugs um you know i'm i'm addicted to drugs at that point but yeah that was a rough time well and go ahead baby i was just gonna lead you into you know how you got to where you thought the heart surgery was was a was an option. Yeah, I I really my best recollection of that is um I think Frank helped me a lot with that. Like you said earlier, Frank Cutler, I had stayed in touch with Frank, you know, after they had disqualified me and this and that, and you know I think it was. Frank that encouraged me he he knew how to read the paperwork right because he he had been part of that bureaucracy of the navy for 30 years and so he was like well Chad that that's when he told me you got this code this RE3 or whatever it was this discharge code that basically means you can if if you if you ever want to 
submit your paperwork back to the Navy and see if they'll take you back. They'll at least review it. And so I thought, well, dang, heck yeah, that's a good, that's good, you know. So maybe I should start trying to find somebody to do this surgery. And then your mom did all the looking for you. Yeah, mom helped me a lot trying to find a doctor. You know, they they pulled some kind of strings or something to where they got me set up with that some kind of Cobra health insurance or something mm-hmm. that would at least help pay for a part of the surgery. This is all um, your mom. She went around, I think, at her school and took up a uh, uh, basically a donation or a collection to raise money to help me pay for this surgery because this was an elective surgery. So, so the insurance, I don't even know what the insurance covered. I don't even know if it, yeah, it, it probably wasn't much mm-hmm. because it was an elective thing. It wasn't, it was a pre-existing condition and it wasn't something. It that, was benign. Yeah. It wasn't something that needed yeah. to be done. So, you know, she took up this money and. She did a lot. Mm-hmm, she did a lot and. You know, we, uh, I mean, to make a long story short, I, well, I mean, I went to, I do remember going to a few different heart surgeons and they just really wouldn't even give me the time of day until we finally met with Dr. Cooper and Dr. Cooper was all about it, man. And I follow him on Instagram now. Really? Yeah. I want to have him on the podcast one day. Yeah. We got to, we got to set that up. He was one of, he was, I think the leading heart surgeon in Atlanta. And he went on to actually run the whole program uh, at that big hospital there in Marietta, Wellstar, whatever it is. So yeah. It, this dude was, he was the real deal. And he was a, he was in the army. He was a surgeon uh, for the army as a reservist, I think. Um, so he was a cool cat, man. And he said he would do it. So you've gone through. All this stuff, you and your mom, your mom doing most of the legwork, you did making the decision to, to take this to make the sacrifice. You've done all that, you find the doctor, everything's set up. You're doing all this. You still don't have anybody telling you, yes, Chad, if you go and get surgery and get your chest cut open, you'll get back in the Navy. Like that's not a thing. Like you had no, there was no scale of like a percentage chance of, of getting back in. There was nothing other than just hope yeah. that, that, I mean, that was going to work. You, you could possibly be going to get dangerous heart surgery for nothing. That's a good way to put it. It was, uh, it was hope. That was all I was running off of was, was hope and just mm-hmm. gambling on the, on the fact that you know, they, they were going to at least review my my case post-surgery and maybe give me another shot, you know. And even Frank Cutler, even though, you know, he's the one that gave me that hope, he didn't he don't sugarcoat anything. I mean, even I, even he told me, it's, it's, chances aren't good. Yeah. You know, you can you can give it a shot, but it's, chances aren't good. Yeah, and, and something also to note – even though this was a dark time for you, you had made up your mind pretty quickly, maybe a month or two after you got back, that you were going back in. And you were training your freaking tail off. Like, 
you were running, you were mostly just running because you weren't good at it and you knew you had to get good at it, which a lot of times you tell people you don't think you would have made it if you went in the first go around. Yeah. And I think, I don't know. I mean, you're, you're pretty tough, but. That's a good point though. I mean. The running. You're right. When I, when I did, you know, the, about a month after I got back home and I realized it was going to be a reality for me to at least get a chance maybe to go back in. That's all I did was train. I told you I had 800 bucks. I wasted it on that Jeep. I ended up getting rid of that Jeep. I ended up selling it. And dad let me drive his extra truck. It was a little red Toyota Tacoma. Mm-hmm. And I literally, all I did was train. I, you I work for Don some. I, I would work. I'd pick up a little job here and there to to make me a hundred bucks here and there, you know, work a day. But um, all I did was train, and and, and I I didn't have I had nothing. I didn't have nothing. I had a, a truck that I was borrowing, and that didn't even stay for long because he ended up taking that from me and giving me that old Ford Ranger. Oh Lord, have mercy! This old Ford Ranger, man. This was like an 80s model Ford Ranger. It literally leaked every single <laughs> fluid in the truck like a sift. It sounded like a horse and buggy when you were riding in it. Like it sounded like there it sounded like there were chains and clop 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 and stuff was just knocking and uh, no no heat. No. And it was so square that the air in the summer when we rode in it didn't flow through it. Like you could have the windows down and the air would just be still. I had two box speakers in the in the center of the seat. It had a bench seat in it. You remember yep. them two box speakers? Yep. Um, you would spit in the floor of yeah, that car. I had this old that I put more oil. It would that truck used more oil and leaked more oil than it used gasoline. So I had nothing. All I did was train, and I ate. Luckily, my mom and dad let me live at their house and eat their food, and that was it. And you ate a lot of food back then. I, I remember riding, I remember taking you somewhere in that old Ranger, man. And uh, I didn't think nothing of it. But I don't know if you remember this. We were riding down the highway somewhere, and somebody pulled up kind of alongside of us that you knew, and you didn't want them to see you riding in that Ranger. Really? Yeah. And I don't know if it's because you were embarrassed Cause this thing was rough as a cop. It was terrible. I mean, I don't know if it's you know young back then things you know things like that influence and and all that. And I remember you feeling like you were you didn't want them to see you in there. And I thought, man, this is kind of rough. <laughs> I, I really don't have anything. And Brooke's a beautiful young girl, you know, and could date anybody that she wanted. And, but she's she has decided to stay with me, you know, and that's that's that was my life, man. And you know, <laughs> I mean, it's it's perfect. It it was it was exactly what needed to happen for you to be successful. The whole thing, yeah. And and for you to have this testimony that's we've built a a business upon, you know, the foundation, but. So I go back to work even before I even know that I can get this surgery done. Mm-hmm. I, I go back to training. I'm not working. I'm training. And you're right. I'm running, man. I'm, I remember going to my pre-op appointment with Dr. Cooper. 
and him checking my heart rate and him being like, man, you, you must run a lot. Like you must be, you're in pretty good shape. Your heart, your resting heart rate is really, really low. That's great. You know, that's great for him as a heart surgeon. Obviously it tells you my heart's nice and strong. Um, but yeah, I was putting in the work, man. Yeah. And then I go and get in, go, go and have the surgery done. I don't know. I don't know if you came up to the hospital when no. I got out. I, I don't remember you being there. No. I just remember waking up and I remember Nanny grabbing my hand and I just remember looking at Nanny and saying, man, I got my dreams back. I know that sounds corny, guys, but that's what I said. I literally woke up from this heart surgery, immediately look at her and say, I got my dreams back. Um, that's how hell bent I was on this. Like nothing else mattered. Yep. And even down, even down to my very life, it didn't didn't matter. And from there, you had to get a ton of stuff together and get like post op checks and a ton of medical stuff together and put a packet together, which was called a waiver, and submit it. And then and Frank was a big part of that. Yeah, Frank helped with that. I could and I, I could I, I not only did I have to get a bunch of paperwork together, but I couldn't train. I after I had that heart surgery. Yeah. I mean, I had to let that joker heal up. I remember laying around in bed. That joker hurt so bad. Yeah. And um I remember going back to the pool after the wound was closed up and trying to swim, but it was too soon. And you know, when you swim you kick off the wall and you stretch out real long. Yeah. And I remember it pulling where those muscles had been cut and it just hurt so bad. And I would just keep going back every day until finally, you know, finally I could get nice and long in the water without it hurting. Being excruciating. Yeah. Without it being excruciating. Yeah. I remember going, I remember a f not long after that surgery, I remember going coon hunting and I, I was, it was so soon after the surgery I couldn't run. I couldn't train. I wasn't supposed to be doing nothing, but I was going nuts, you know, not being able to get out and be in the woods and be on my feet. And I remember going coon hunting, and Mama came with me. It's the only time Mom's ever came coon hunting with me. And for y'all that don't know what coon hunting is, it's hunting raccoons. You hunt them with dogs. I've done this on and off my whole life. Um, there's freaking 5,000 stories around that. But a ton. You turn these dogs loose, man, in the in these thousands of acres of woods, and they go off in there, and they find a raccoon, and they put run it up a tree, and you have to go get them. So it don't matter. They might only go a hundred feet. They might go five miles. Yep. And Mama came with me, just because she knew that I wanted to get out of the house, and uh, and I wasn't able to train, and and mentally I was probably in a bad place. She also probably wanted to protect you from hurting yourself. And that's and that's the reason she came. Yeah, is because I was, and I remember just kind of stumbling through the woods and hurting so bad. Um, but she came with me to make sure, you know, that I that I wasn't going to collapse out there somewhere and be stuck or die. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Dude, we got. I was trying to think of the best coon hunting story like just as a side note and the first thing that popped in my mind was when you threw that possum on me oh yeah when that I, was back before all was that that was before all before the heart surgery and all wasn't it or was I it think, after <clears throat> i think it was in between okay i think um but i'm sitting in 
I'm sitting in a, regardless, it was a small truck, like a Ranger or something. And I'm in the middle and a girl's beside me and they all go get out to grab a possum because you guys are just evil and you want to kill stuff because you're boys. And um, <clears throat> they grab that possum, run over and toss it in the window of the truck right on top of me. Single cab Toyota Tacoma. Yeah. And I think I had a beer in one hand and a cigarette in the other. And I remember bragging because I came out the window sideways and then just landed, you know. But that was, I think that's the best story I oh, can Oh, yeah. Think of. With us together, probably, that was that was pretty funny. Brooke used to go with me quite regular. I mean, it was a way for us to get out of the house as we were, again, young and get out at night and run around and do what we wanted to do with nobody to tell us what not to do. That's right. Um. But, yeah, I remember that, and, you know, yeah, and then Frank helps me get all this paperwork together and, and get it submitted, and, and that part actually went pretty quick. Once I was healed up, got that stuff together, uh, I had to go redo the PST, right? I crushed it, though, second time, because I knew how to train. Crushed it, got the seal contract, um, and then I got to leave again. And leaving the second time was, even though I wanted it so bad, you wouldn't think so, but it was still hard mm -hmm. to leave again. You know, I don't know if you came up there with me on that second time or not. I don't remember. I just same remember. Same place, same recruiter, yeah. same Arbor Place Mall, man. I'm pretty sure I did. I just remember um, there in Hiram off of 278, right past where Dallas Highway, there was a gym right there, and we met in that parking lot and i remember asking you please don't go and you got emotional and i got emotional and that's really all i remember about like close that time right right before you left again the mm -hmm. second time i don't remember i don't remember what i was doing and where i was working i don't remember any of that yeah i can't either well i go i do end up going and um yeah, I think we'll we'll talk about that on episode two. Okay. Of the origins. So we met. We started dating. You decided you wanted to be a Navy SEAL because you didn't like your job at the concrete plant. You wanted something more. You head out, go to basic, get medically discharged for your heart, come back, get hell bent, and going back. And chasing your dreams and you take elective non-necessary heart surgery send your waiver get back in yep and that's where we end and i am the next episode i'm gonna start with like one or two of your letters yeah that'll be absolutely hilarious that was a really good idea all right guys well thanks for tuning in i hope you enjoyed this uh i haven't told these stories in this manner ever before so it's it's really cool for me biscuit thank you for facilitating the conversation and being willing to do this because i wouldn't do it without you this will be hard to do just by yourself yeah especially because you know I mean? you'll get off on a rabbit trail about your co-worker named fred who was ted. pigeon toed and it's ted he, he sure was good at driving that skid steer, Fred was. Carl drove the skid steer. <laughs>
Enough said. Yeah. All right, guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, this will be. We'll do this over the course of a few episodes because it's uh This is actually hard for me to talk about some of this stuff. Emotionally hard, or just hard to remember? No, emotionally hard. Yeah, it really is. So we'll we'll split it up. Let us know if you guys enjoy these episodes. It's obviously quite different than most of the stuff that we put out. Most of the stuff you're used to hearing from us. So yeah. Um, let us know how you like it. Got anything else? No. Good. All right. Love you guys. Enough said. Enough said.